Father God, just as we share from your word, I ask you to speak to our hearts. Let us hear your words. Let us know your voice. Let us hear your invitation of love afresh and new today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Simon, could you put up the slide? You join us, if you're visiting today, at the start of a new small series we're doing um, called Encounters with Jesus. You might find out a bit strange. Jesus uh, is a guy who lived and died over 2,000 years ago. How can we encounter him? Well, the truth is we can encounter him. We can encounter him through his word, through the Bible. We can also encounter him in our lives when we invite him to be part of who we are, part of our life. And so many of the people you're joined with today, people here in the church, know Jesus in that personal way. And it's that way I want to speak to you today. When we're looking, when we're looking at how um, Jesus could answer some of the big questions. And this week it's how can the world be put right? You may think, boy, do we need that now. Boy, do we need that now. But the answer won't necessarily be what you think it is. The answer won't be in strong armies. The answer won't be in, in strong leadership and politicians. The answer will be in love. I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel in chapter 2, starting at verse 2. And it's a passage of the Bible which, if you've been to any wedding, you probably will have heard sometime along the way. And it's about it's an account, actually, of the first miracle that Jesus is reported of doing. So let me just read this to you. And we're going to go through to verse 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples, his disciples believed in him. So a well-known passage. You may have heard it before. Often used in weddings. A story of a wedding celebration. But there is a deep secret hidden within these words. A wedding celebration which is also a picture of God's love and Jesus' determination to put right 
what is wrong in the world. In fact, what is wrong in us? What's the scene? A wedding party, a family gathering, a community event. In those days, weddings were a big community event. It's great to see people all the way from the front to the back in this room today. We're here together as community. We've come from different parts of the community. Friends, family come from many miles away perhaps or those who live nearby. It's so good to be here together. I want to tell you, this day, today, a year ago, was your wedding. And I was there. It was tremendous. It was tremendous in so many ways. But what really struck me was the hospitality and the friendship and the community of your family, your families, and your friends. I was an outsider, but I was treated like a brother, a loved brother by my host. I was treated as a VIP in the churches I welcomed and as an honoured guest at the marriage and the feast. I've not known that kind of welcome at any time, anywhere in my life. Did it make my hat size bigger? (laughs) Do you know what? It didn't. It humbled me. I was humbled that people would honour someone they didn't know so much. This is what happens at weddings. I hope you feel welcomed here today. I hope you feel there's something of community and love that's moving in this building, in this room, and we'll continue this afternoon. We have a bride and a groom, just as they did at Cana. In that wedding, the bride and the groom speak symbolically of something more than a couple celebrating their nuptials. They speak of Jesus, the groom, the, the groom, and his church, his people, the bride, the people who Jesus loves. There's many references in the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament, to this, to this picture of a bride, a bride and a groom. Friends, Here's the big news of today. Jesus loves you as a groom loves his bride. Jesus loves you as a groom loves his bride. Can you see that in Namdi and Uchi, those of you who know them? Can you see it? Yes, I can. And I saw it when they, when they were married. And I've seen it uh, as their life has started to grow. Would you like to experience that kind of love? Has anyone seen the photographs of Uchi at their traditional wedding? Oh, isn't she drop-dead gorgeous? The, the, the costume, the, the makeup, the jewellery. I mean, it, it's, it's different from our culture, isn't it? And so maybe we're more in, impacted by that. But it was amazing. Absolutely inc- Incredible. Here's another secret. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees you. As wonderfully and intricately made. The Bible says wonderfully and fearfully made. One who he knew from the very beginnings of your life. From the very conception moment, God knew you. And he knew you as you were growing in your mother's womb. 
God knew you and wants you to know his love. Just as an aside then, thinking that this, this bride and groom picture is a picture of God's love for us and Jesus and the union he wants to have with his people, with his church. That parallel picture. I want you to understand that that is actually why Christians value marriage so deeply. Why we esteem marriage so highly and why we say it's a gift from God and why we jealously guard marriage and look to help and support people as they go through their marriage. Because marriage, like everything in life, can throw all kinds of things at you. That's why we asked you to say, yes, we'll stand with them. That's why we don't like to see marriage broken or abused or ridiculed. But in this picture, back in Canaan, something's wrong. Something has gone wrong. The wine has run out. What does that mean? Well, mostly for the bride and groom, for the master of ceremonies, For everybody involved in organizing that celebration, that is a thing of great shame. They've let down the community. They've let down their friends. A sign of shame. What does that speak of? It speaks of our inner shame and inner brokenness. We all have it. Whoever we are, We try to cover it up with achievement, with prowess in all kinds of ways, maybe with good looks and maintaining those into age, maybe with our possessions, maybe position in life or in work, any of those things. But deep down, actually, we're a lost people. In money terms, most of us are probably... Just one, two, or maybe three paydays away from being destitute. Just think about that. People in our country, we know there's poverty, but actually most people, because of the level of debt and so on that we have, are probably only one or two paydays away from disaster. So we can't look to our money to save us. In moral terms, we're probably as close to some kind of immorality. It wouldn't take much to push us over the edge when trouble comes, when there's difficulty. Take a look at the world around you. Take a look at the hate that boils up when people or peoples feel excluded, marginalized, rejected. We call it radicalization. We call it extremism, but it's a great loss, and it's a brokenness at the heart of everybody that those situations can bring forward. We can all fall prey, whether it's just losing it when somebody cuts us off on the motorway, whether it's wanting to push ourselves and our families ahead of everybody else because we've got to get on, we've got to strive whether it's the the, the brokenness we feel when relationships break down, when family aren't there. What does Jesus say? What's his response? 
is this really weird response. He says to his mother, why are you bothering me? My time hasn't come. What is he saying? Jesus, sitting in this wedding feast, his mind is there, but it's somewhere else as well. His mind is clearly on the wedding feast to come, the union of the spiritual bride and groom of of, of Christ, of Jesus and his church, and the journey he has got to go through to get there. And I guess he's saying, yes, I can fix the shame. I can fix the brokenness. But you really don't know how much this is going to cost me. This is going to cost me my life. I think Jesus is thinking ahead. All of these things are there. He's looking at the picture unfolding around him. And what his journey, what his mission is. Even so, here in this wedding, in this feast, Jesus is their rescue, just as he is our rescue today. Do just as he says, his mother tells his servants. What does his mum know? Well, his mum knows that this angel visited her and said, you're going to have a baby, and not in a normal way. So she must have an inkling of something of the greatness and power in God that Jesus is, of what his mission is here to do, of who he is and what he's capable of. This is at the start of Jesus' ministry. He's not done a miracle yet, according to the scriptures. In fact, the only things we read have been in a bit of trouble with his parents. But this is the very beginning of his ministry. And yet Mary says, do whatever he says. Jesus is going to be their rescue. He turns to water these large jars used for ceremonial washing. That is a key point to understand. Ceremonial washing was a big thing for the Jews. A big thing. They knew, because God had told them, that they needed to be cleansed and cleansed regularly to be able to come and meet with God. That they were broken that they were broken and needed uh, the intervention of something from God to put that right. What happens? He turns this water into wine. We don't know quite how that happens. They fill it with water, they draw some off, they take it to the head of of the table, and it's the most amazing wine he's ever tasted. What does that speak of? Life, joy, celebration. Jesus will fulfill all of the ceremonial needs that the Jews expected to use, that washing water and other sacrifices for. He will meet all of those needs through new wine, which we know from the rest of the Bible is his blood shed on the cross. His blood. And it will bring joy to all of those who partake of it. There is a key to this, though, that we need to understand. And that is the key of forgiveness. The key 
of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a transaction. It's a transaction in which guilt is taken away and the consequences of that, the consequences of sin, of rejection of God, the consequences are borne by another. That's what forgiveness is. Has someone scratched your car? Has has that ever happened to you? Maybe you've come out and and your car's been dinged or or scratched or something. Has somebody maybe broken your favourite vase? You have some choices. You can take it out on them. You can demand reparation. Or you can forgive them. But do you know what? If you forgive them, you bear the consequences of that damage, don't you? If you truly forgive them, you either decide to pay for the damage yourself and put it right, or you have to live with that hurt, that scratched car that doesn't look like it used to, that valued vase that's still in pieces. You can get things fixed, or you can live with it. Maybe putting things right is the answer. Living with the hurt, letting it grow in your heart, never seeing it go is not the right way. So when we look at the bigger picture, when God sent his son Jesus to pay for the damage that our rejection of God to pay for the damage of all the brokenness in all of our lives. When he sent him to do that, the price of our forgiveness, the price of our healing, was what Jesus freely paid. He chose to put it right on the cross. He chose to deal with the brokenness through giving his life in our place. Jesus willingly bears the consequences of the sin of the brokenness, of all of the rubbish in this world. It was on him, and he did it for love. What did Jesus come to fix again? He came to fix our inner shame. That shame which was experienced by Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God and they realized they were naked. Not just nude, that's not the point, but they were All that they are, everything they were, outwardly, inwardly, was all visible to God at that moment. Every single thought, every petty jealousy, every bit of selfishness or anger or lust or greed, all visible to God. That's not a comfortable place to be. And they ran and they hid. Unless, unless you know that it can be dealt with. Unless you know that for us today, we know, we have faith that it's been dealt with. And it's been covered, our shame, our nakedness, covered by the only one who can meet all of God's expectations, his son Jesus. When Adam and Eve um, found they were naked, God clothed them in animal skins. Death was involved. I want you to understand this really clearly. Perhaps the best example I can think of are those rather disturbing adverts for PETA, the animal liberation people, where fashion models are clothed in freshly cut skins. You've not seen those. And blood is on their bodies. That is the clearest picture I think I've ever seen in modern imagery of what God had to do for mankind. But that wasn't enough. 
that wasn't enough. Jesus comes and says, no more death. I will meet the requirements of brokenness, of sin, and of shame through my death once and for all. I will deal with this problem. And Jesus gives himself in our place. That's the Easter story. A perfect, sinless life given so that those who can't make the grade can be covered with his blood and know true life. That's the deep story that's going on in that marriage in Cana. That's the deep story of God's perfect love. That is the picture which God calls us as Christian couples, if you're married, to portray to the world. One of sacrifice, one of love, one of trust and faith in God Almighty and his son Jesus. That we might live out that picture of the celestial groom and his bride, the church, in our lives. That is why we celebrate today. That is why we who know Jesus are full of joy today at celebrating this marriage. That is why we will continue to stand up and protect and and, and strengthen people in their marriages today. What does this mean for you and me, though, this big picture, this deep story? Well, number one, actually, is quite a difficult thing. I've got to admit something. I've got to admit that I'm a mess inside. I've got my fine clothes on today. In fact, this is the suit, not the, not the waistcoat. This is the suit I wore in Nigeria. Uh, and so I thought I'd bring it out again today. But whatever you might think when you see me, pastor of a church, church leader, whatever you think I should be like, I can't live up to that on my own. I can't. I can't do it. I certainly can't match up to all that God requires of me. I fall short in any number of ways. I'm nowhere near as white on the inside as you might think I look on the outside. What can I do? What can I do faced with what's happening inside of me, faced with, with the shame that I might have? I can do one thing. I can believe it can be resolved through Jesus. I can believe that his sacrifice on the cross is power to forgive and cleanse everything that's not good in my life. And that his resurrection is proof that his sacrifice is sufficient. That's what I can do. That's what Nandi and Uchi have done. That's what so many people here today, part of our church, have done. They've realized that we're a mess. But do you know what? There's an answer. And that answer is Jesus. What do we do then? Well, we, we confess that. We speak it out. We have, to, we have to do something. We have to make a, a, an admission of that. And we confess our belief. And we confess our belief by our words and what we say, but also by our actions, what we do. We speak out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, for all is not good in our lives. And we do things that demonstrate that we really, really believe that, that our hearts have changed on the inside. First step probably is that we get baptized. We had a baptism last week, which sadly we had to miss because we were caring for mum down in Cornwall. But we had a baptism. 
that just spoke of the resurrection power in each and every one of us when we ask Jesus into our lives. So we confess both our belief in our words, but also in our deeds and the things we would do. And then we move on to living as Jesus would have us live. How is that? How we are today. In celebration. In celebration of the feast that he has called us to. Every day is a day at that wedding feast when Jesus lives inside of you. Every day is a day for new wine. Every day is a day for celebration, rejoicing, and blessing. And as we do that, we grow closer to this Jesus we've accepted as our Lord and our Saviour. I'm going to close now. We're going to have one more worship. But before we do that, there's one last thing. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit uncomfortable. But don't worry, we're going to do it together. And that is, I'm going to ask you in polite company to close your eyes. So you you might find that a little bit odd. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just consider. So if we just close our eyes now, just consider who you are inside. Is there the remotest, tiniest little bit of uncertainty, of brokenness, of not sure what this life is for? or what this life is about. Having heard these words this morning, having seen the demonstration of love in the blessing of Uchi and Namdi's marriage, is there something calling out to you? Is there a deeper dimension to life, which is the love of a God who wants to, to love you, who wants to lavish his love on you, as a bridegroom pours out upon his bride? Is he calling you to open your heart and listen to the love song he's singing to you right now? If he is, and if that's the first time you've ever sat and thought and pondered those things, and if you want to know something more about that, I want to encourage you to speak to somebody afterwards. But right now, I want you to raise your hand and say, before other people who aren't looking so they don't know, just raise your hand to say, I think there's something more, and I want to know more about this Jesus. If you could just raise your hands for me now, that would be just so encouraging. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good. Okay. Put your hand down. That's fine. I'm just going to pray now, and then we'll go on to our last worship song and continue with celebrations. Father God, I thank you for Jesus, who is my Savior, for Jesus, who is my rock, my strength, my salvation, for Jesus, who can touch the inner parts of me that are wrong and broken with his blood and cleanse them who can cleanse me from the inside out, make me whole, and place me with him in his wonderful family at the celebration of the bride and the groom. Lord Jesus, right now, I ask you to speak to those hearts that have responded this morning. Take them further on their journey. 
and let them know the truth of your love, the truth of your peace in their hearts, the truth of your salvation, that they might confess that out by their words and their deeds and grow to love you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.